Bills make me wanna Welcome back, listeners, to another exciting episode of Bills and Beers, the Buffalo Bills podcast here from the Bills backers of Chicago, Illinois. It's just me and Sujit, the president of the Chicago backers today. It's a good thing nothing's happened recently in Buffalo Bills Nation. Yeah, not much at all. We, um... We lost to Oakland in Oakland, then it was Christmas, then we beat New England in New England, then our quarterback quit, then our coach quit. And then Pullian was coming, and then Pullian wasn't coming, and then Pullian was definitely coming, and then Pullian said, no, I'm definitely not coming, and by the way, Marone said all this bad shit about me and about the team, and uh, you know, you guys are a mess. And now Chip Kelly is going to become available. So, you know, it's been a lot of... It's pretty much the same old <laughs> stuff, you know, really nothing eventful. Uh, it's been utter insanity. Uh, earlier today I referred to the Buffalo Bills as devolving into a Mexican soap opera, and that's pretty much where we find ourselves today. So we're glad you tuned in to spend about an hour here with us trying to figure it all out. Although, apologies in advance, by the time you are listening to this, pretty much everything we will have had to say will be completely out of date. But the good news is that by the time you listen to it, Bill Cowher is going to be our new head coach, (laughs) and GM and um, Doug Willie is going to be his executive assistant. But seriously, updates are coming by the minute. This is the 2014 year in review, which is also going to be a 2015 what we have to look forward to. And only one of those things do we have any clue what to say. So this is an exciting episode coming up. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell your neighbors, tell everybody you know in Bills Nation how you found us. Billsandbeers.com is the best way to stay in touch. And Suge, without further delay, let's try to make sense of all of this nonsense at One Bills Drive. Make me wanna. So it's a shame that we're without uh, uh, Buffalo Bill Belcher and also the lovely Miss Cassie Hutton today. And of course, without the long forgotten Jam and Jeff Day. But this is a great opportunity, Suge, before we get into all of the hubbaloo going on right now with the GM and with Russ Brandon and Overdorf and coaches here, coaches there, and all that nonsense, which we will talk about today. Let's take a minute now to reflect on the season that has just concluded for the Bills. The first winning season in a decade. A team that just barely missed the playoffs, but in actuality, even if they had been had beaten Oakland, they still would have missed. So they essentially would have had to have been at 11-5 and five, how things went, and they would have had to have turned either the Houston game or the Kansas City game to make it in. And they would have had to, again, so we had to pick up two more wins to get into the playoffs, essentially, this year. So, which at 11-5, and if we didn't make the playoffs, all of us would be screaming foul at the system. Right. But, again, it's it's hard to argue about this year, and it's another year that goes to show that um, you can do whatever you want in football, but a great defense gives you the best chance to win. And I think that's one of the things that this, the recent shakeup or soon-to-be shakeup with the Bills has everybody disappointed because we have such a good defense right now and nobody really wants to fuss with that too much, but it looks like that's probably going to be the case. Maybe not. Who knows? Either way, looking back so, on 2014. The question is, when we look back on 2014, do we really want to talk about 2014 or should we just talk about 2004? Because yeah, they I, were essentially the exact same years. I mean, I said that the other day, yeah. did I not? There's... It's uncanny. And First of the, all, fact, the fact that I said that before Marone quit, yeah. and it was the one thing that was different, was that Malarkey quit after 2004. Right. Now, the... Or did he? Or no, he, no, 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 he quit no, after he 2005. Sorry. But still, he was a guy who went 9-7. He was a guy who went 9-7. And, and, all right. So, you know, let's let's look at back. As we look back, let's look at the parallels. So, the defense uh, this year had the lowest point totals allowed for opposing offenses since when 2004. 2004 we had a disgruntled angry white man coach that you know got in people's faces maybe marone wasn't quite as angry on the sidelines but he just carried an anger about him in general all times. surliness right right um we had a team that was essentially just run on our offense uh it was the first time we got to nine and seven just like the nine and seven we had back in uh 2004 we played our last game against backups Thank God there's one difference, that we actually beat the Patriots. Um, but again, and we were just in the inside looking, or sorry, on the outside looking in at the playoff situation. It's, it's, it's uncanny yeah. how how similar those two years are. But I think as we look back at 2014, I think that this is the best job in the world. If the, the defensive coordinator position 
in, of the Buffalo Bills is the best place in the world if you want to be a head coach. Because we've now had two head coaches. Now, granted, these guys were no slouches. Mike Pettin is doing a pretty good job in Cleveland. Uh, not great. Save for his five-game losing streak to end the year. Well, yeah. So, But what I guess what I mean is like his ability to build a defense seems intact. Um, and Jim Schwartz, you know, maybe it's a great place to become great defensive coordinators and prove that you can't work out as an as yeah, a, right, NFL yeah. head coach. <laughs> but, um, you know, this is two different coordinators that came in, and it's very hard as a coordinator to come in to a situation and take a good defense and make it better, you know? Like, yeah. I mean, it, and I think it's not as much of a testament to Jim Schwartz as it is a testament to us having a defense, the majority of which stayed together mm-hmm. and knew how to play off of one each other. Um, and the one missing component was, uh, you know, stopping the run. Uh, prior to this year. Prior to this year. And then all of a sudden, you know, in comes Brandon Spikes, the last key to that puzzle. And, man, if we had a serviceable offense, I think that we would be in the playoffs arguably contending for a Super Bowl. Highlight from today, two All-Pros, two first-team All-Pros on the defensive line in Marcel Darius and Mario Williams. I think the Bills fans will be relieved to hear that, if for no other reason because Mario Williams was a uh, break-the-bank free agent. So we got our money's worth there. And Marcel, Marcel Darius was the third overall pick in the, the 2011 draft. So, Suge, let's get right to it. Um, 2014, who was your Jenny uh, Cremail bummer of 2014? Okay. I got mine. I'll go right off the top. Yeah, go for it. CJ Spiller. All right. Fair enough. Um, I don't care if he was injured. Part of a player's job is to stay uninjured, and he broke his collarbone in a freak play, I guess. This is like two and a half straight years where he's been nicked up. And it's created two and a half years worth of fans and message boards alike arguing about his value. Because he can't do enough to keep himself in a game and do enough to prove his worth that it's not without debate. Right. I, I My issue with CJ, and I, you know, I could definitely agree with that choice as a, as a Jenny Cremel player, is that even when he was in the game, I mean... Great. Every three games, you have a 40-yard run. What does that do for me the other three games when you're just burying yourself into the middle of the line and getting two-yard losses or one-yard gains? You know, he just even Bryce Brown is way better at just finding the little bit of a Taking crease. Taking three, four yards every three, time. three, four yards, right, exactly. Or even, even two positive yards. Booby Dixon what, always what ha- gets two positive yards. And against yards. Oakland, we saw it. Right. Against Oakland, now, okay, let's be very clear. C.J. Spiller was not the worst player on this team. That's not why he's getting my bummer of the year. Kyle Orton had performances that cost us games. We had an interior line that was the absolute pits. The reason C.J. Spiller gets my bummer of the year is because nobody felt shorter of expectations than C.J. Spiller. When so much is expected of you because of what you've done in the past and because of the raw, t- raw talent that we all know you have, when you come out and perform the way you do and miss as much of the time as you did, like you're just a, a flat-out disappointment. And I, I hate to say that because from what I can tell as a guy, he's a totally nice guy. He's, he's honest. He's straight. He's... Really religious. I mean, he's not yeah, a jerk. I mean, right. there's there's so many guys in the NFL who he's are so Willis much. He's not Willis McGahee. No, know, he's who... so easy to root for. But at the same time, I want to get back to it. In Oakland, we didn't get a chance to do a podcast after the Oakland game. But what did we see in Oakland for the first time in five or six weeks? C.J. Spiller. So what did that mean? For the first time in five and six weeks, we were consistently at second and 13, second and 11, second and nine, because he kept getting gobbled up behind the line. Now, I understand that Oakland played a good game. Khalil Mack played out of his mind. But it's the same offensive line that Booby, Fred, and Bryce Brown have been running behind. And yet, when C.J. was out of the lineup, those negative three, negative four-yard plays disappeared. Yep. He came back, and all of a sudden, it was an entire half of football We were when we were consistently playing behind in the count. And, and lo and behold, he wasn't in in the second half. Yeah, I just, it's it's one of those things where it's, you know, pattern after pattern. Maybe it's easier. Maybe it's because us Bills fans have been around longer than all the coaches. <laughs> you know, and, and we've seen him, and we've seen other people like him. Even Marshawn Lynch, before he got good, 
in in Seattle was that same player. He was this huge guy, and he would go up to the line pussyfooting and then would eventually get tackled two yards short. He didn't learn how to just bang the hole. Um, and, you know, the, the guys like Fred Jackson, they're not just banging the hole the way Booby Dixon does. You know, they're they're taking the hit and then turning their body and trying to find some sort of crease so they can fall forward. They're just trying to find a way that they can fall forward because when you're a six-foot guy and you fall forward, that's, that's two, two yards. yards. Right. So, the uh, you know, but CJ... He wants to hit that home run every play. Uh, and you hear him talk about it like, oh, yeah, you know, I just got to remember to, you know, just get what the defense has given you, that two, three yards isn't a big deal. But he doesn't do it. He doesn't do it. It was only one year in his entire career that he actually did that. And that was the year that he ran for like a billion yards with a six yard average, you know? And so he ran for like 1,100 yards. Right. But he was only in for. Part of the, like right, I know, right, right. but I know, no, but, but like, that, that's the year that all Bills fans point to of, of showing his potential. So, but showing his potential, he barely squeaked the top ten. I mean, yeah, he, yeah. even even at his statistical best, he still wasn't great. Yeah, you know, I mean, and the long the long runs would help his yards per carry. Remember that was like the year that he was like six yards per carry yeah. or something like that. But you know, the the reason he was six yards per carry though is because his average carry was no longer in the one to two range. It was in the three to four range, which and, is exactly what we needed him but to we, do. And we're on record here. So like, you can go back and listen to these podcasts, and I'm sure we were right there with Bills fans everywhere saying, why the hell is the guy who averages six yards a carry only carrying the ball 16 times a game? Right, right. But that's precisely why. Because when he, when he, he carries it that, like that, with, or when he carries it so few times... That's how he's able to spring those big runs because defenses don't know what to do. He he doesn't have it in him to be a Le'Veon Bell, bell cow kind no. of runner. Yeah, and, no, you can't. You and, can't. You cannot be an every and down I think back. It's, it is now since played out, and Bills fans were fucking beside themselves over this point. Why is a guy who's averaging six yards a carry only carrying the ball sixteen times a game? I think it's out very clear. The yeah. joke was on us that Chan Gailey was stupid like a fox and knew exactly what he was doing and how to get the most out of C.J. Spiller. And it meant carrying the ball 16 times a game so he could spring a 19-yard run every six runs. Right, right. And it's, you know, you have your bread and butter backs. I think that Booby Dixon. So, I mean, let's move out to, like, the entire running back core now. I mean, I think we both agree that C.J. Spiller has been a very large disappointment other than half a season. You know, yeah. for his entire career. Uh, I would give him, I, actually, I would say a whole season and a half. Uh, mm, probably a whole season, because it was two half seasons. The last third of 2011, make no mistake, it was late in the season that he came on. Or no, sorry. Yeah, 2011. Right. And then all of 2012 he was good? When Fred went down. Right, because Fred carried yeah, he, the load. Yeah, he went into the season as the backup. Right, and Fred, remember, that was the year that Fred was, Fred's turn. That was doing well with, he was like keeping up with Matt Forte, and they were you know, competing for the rushing title, like, up to that point in the season. Then Fred goes down, CJ comes in, and CJ actually does a, you know, a, a rel- relatively good job. So, I, but we look back and you see this stable of running backs that we have, uh, you know, in the on the Bills right now. Fred, you know, God bless him. Yeah, maybe he's lost a step, but he still finds a way to get two, three yards every carry. If Fred can just come back in 2015 and be the third down back who comes in to block. right. Right. I mean, there's, there's, I have not seen a better pass blocking running back in the NFL than Fred Jackson. Um, and I think, you know, God, that, that's the other thing is that CJ, that CJ do that. got embarrassed during the Raiders game with Khalil Mack just like destroying him. And also the strip sack against right. the Patriots. Right. He got beat right. twice on that play. Yeah. Yeah. No. Oh, that was, that's actually, that's, that, that was even worse. And that was, Embarrassing. That was where Kyle Orton turned around to look turned at around him. and said, "Wait, you missed me. Come back and sack me." So, anyways, uh, I'm gonna pick my Jenny Cremail player player of the bummer year, of the year, bummer of the year, bummer of 2014, bummer. 2014, to be. Yep, I'm gonna be Eric Pears. Okay, I had to pick one of the guards. I've been bagging on the guards all year, and I'm I'm sorry, like if. If they, you know what? No, I'm going to change. It. I'm going to change it to our offensive line coach, because yeah. you have the full support. You actually have another offensive line coach as your head coach who's helping you out to build that offensive line. That's his baby, and they're still bad. And you don't ask for help. You don't say Doug. You don't go to Doug Whaley and say, 
I don't care what it takes. I cannot play with these players. I'm going to be, instead, you're stubborn. And so the reason I'm picking the offensive line coach and not Doug Marone is because I feel like ultimately it comes down to that line coach. And, you know, Marone's responsible for a lot of other crap in, in the organization. Yeah, but, which is why I was, but if your offensive, me. Yeah, and if your offensive line yeah. coach comes to you and says, look, Doug, I sit and work with these guys every day. These guards cannot cut it in the NFL, uh, at least not right now. I need some help. You need to go to Doug and get me some people. Um, you know, rather than, hell, we find Marquis Gray. We find... Marcus Thigpen. Yeah, Marcus Thigpen. You can't tell me... And people tend you to You can't forget. tell me Richie Incognito would not have helped this team in just at least in the play. Like, granted, there's that whole locker room issue. But, but you know what? That locker room is pretty damn tight. And also... Richie Incognito can say what he wants to, but if Brandon Spikes is there, yeah, you know he will destroy him. I'll so. go a step further and say, uh, I I hear what you're saying, and I think it's an interesting hypothetical. The guy was out of football for long enough. I I, I think it's uh, foolhardy to believe that he would have come right back in football shape. Oh yeah, no, I don't. I guess, but I I'm don't just think, giving him an example. But I don't think of. that the. But I'm just to your point. I just want to give the guy props again. I don't think the deputy of the locker room would be Brandon Spikes. I think it'd be Fred Jackson. I don't think that that yeah. kind. You know, I, I think that the the shit that Richie Incognito was in the national headlines for last year doesn't fly in a locker room that's led by Fred Jackson and, of course, Kyle Williams. Yeah. Now, now we have said on this podcast over and over and over again now for the last couple of weeks, what does this locker room look like without those two? Kyle Williams probably has another two, three, if we're lucky, four years left in him. Jesus, if we can get one more year out of Freddie Jackson, we'll be lucky. But those two guys are the heart and soul of this team. Yes. I mean, I think that I, I think that we need to get um, Eric Wood back into form. I think that he can serve as a leader; that he is a leader. Um, he speaks when he needs to speak, uh, but you know his play has got to be as good as his leadership. Yeah, uh, and, and, and for the past few years, like he's been okay. I mean, he hasn't. He hasn't but been I think his out, I think his play suffered tremendously a lot this year. So that's. But why I think it suffered from the guys next to him. Well, so yeah, I mean that's that's the argument that we've talked about all year is that you know is this is just a byproduct of the fact that he has two boobs on either side of him, um, and so and not in the good way. Um, no. So I don't know. Rarely I don't know. Uh, so football. I mean, you know, the the reason that that offensive line coach why, why was Cyril Richardson in for so long? Because I think they the, wanted to no, develop. I, it, I, yeah, can, but, I can actually explain this one. This one actually makes sense to me. The whole Cyril Richardson over Craig Erbrick. Yeah. Because I think they knew that Craig Erbrick was going to give you a C minus, that that was his ceiling. Mm-hmm. You're not going to get any better than that. But that he would also give you like a D floor. Okay, so he had that window. Whereas they knew that, and this has been my whole thing for this whole year is ceilings and floors, and I really think that that's how guys are evaluated in the NFL. Yeah. So if if we consider Erbrick a D to C minus. And the coaches think that Richardson is a B plus to F. Right. Then he Rings. gets that chance to be a B plus. And if he's consistently coming in at anything less than a D, that's when you pull the plug and put Craig Erbrick in. Yeah, but it's but so he was though. I know. Well, that's, that's why he, that's why he lost his job. Well, but after a long, he was a D for a long, long time before he before he lost his job. I'm just saying um, the and, alternative and the wasn't was, that much better. I know, but you know, if if you're coming into the season with the argument that I'm going to give EJ Manuel everything there is to succeed, you got to give him the best line. You know, he, he preached all season about the fact that we're going to put the five best players on the field. If he's not there yet, you got to develop him outside of outside of the game. I'm just saying you got to put him in for reps during the game and things like that. He was but, there from a potential standpoint. Well, Suge, we got a yeah. lot more to discuss. Yeah, um, we got to move on to our 2014 Labatt Blue MVP. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I, yeah. I'm gonna go first, and I'm I'm just gonna go, go for it. I'm no, gonna I know what you're gonna fucking say. say it. Kyle Orton. Yeah. I. If anyone changed the outlook of this offense. To whatever range it was, you know, whatever, whatever, that was the piece that fixed this off, or it improved this offense to the point where at certain times it looked respectable. And again, if if we're talking ceilings and floors, which is where I've been all year, lower ceiling than EJ Manuel, much higher floor, and yes. in, and in a in a season where the defense and special teams are winning you games. You gotta keep that floor high because yeah. that means it's on the offense 
to not lose it for you. Yeah. And, and, and quite frankly, Kyle Horton never lost us games. EJ Manuel, it can be argued, lost us the game in Houston. The pick six to J.J. Watt was the difference in that game. It turns out that uh, this is no longer the intimate session that Lars and I had planned because here we are uh, on January 2nd, and for the first time in Bills and Beers history, we now have the fun technology of (laughs) iPhones allowing us to conference in both the lovely Miss Cassie Hutton. Cassie, please say hello. Greetings, everyone. And the long and forgotten, but or the the long loved but never forgotten, Jam and Jeff Day. Oh, hey, it's great to be back, and I I think your first, uh, I think I may have been forgotten, and that's okay. Never, Jeff. Okay, well, to loop you guys in real quick, um, we are going over right now the 2014 Jenny Cremail Bummer of the Year, but we've we've moved on to the 2014 Labatt Blue MVP of the Year, and I have gone first, and I gave my 2014 Labatt Blue MVP to Kyle Orton. Jeff, how say you? <laughs> Can I hear a little bit of your rationale? Because, uh, and as I've been saying, my player evaluation this year has been based almost entirely on ceilings and floors. And um, while the ceiling with EJ Manuel is much higher, the floor for Kyle Orton is much, much higher than EJ's. And in a year where defense and special teams were going to win us most of our games anyways, he came in and, and at the very least did not lose games for us. Oh, boy. All right. Well, so I'm gonna put I'm gonna put it to you then, Jim and Jeff Day. Who is your Labatt Blue 2014 MVP of the year? Uh, you know, I mean, off the I would say for me, it was, uh, as you were as you were mentioning that, I was, I was debating between two people. Um, the two people that I was debating between were either um, Mario Williams or uh, Carpenter, who I think put up an, an another outstanding season for us in terms of field goal production. But I want to give it to Mario Williams, uh, MVP for, for our team, particularly because I think he, he showed a level of consistency this year that he hasn't shown uh, perhaps in previous seasons. You know, sort of an impact player every in and out every week. One, if not two, game-winning sacks for us this year. And just an overall outstanding contributor to what is clearly, I think, you know, the best player perhaps on the defense, which is the best portion of our team. So I want to give it to Mario. That's an excellent choice, Jeff. And I'm actually surprised that you didn't go Brandon Spikes because I know you're a huge fan. Uh, I, you know, Brandon Spikes is certainly one of my favorite players on the team. and I, I think he brings a level of attitude and toughness that we sorely lacked in previous seasons. But it's hard for me to give him the MVP simply because I think he saw less than 50% of snaps. You know, didn't put up the statistical numbers of some of the other players on the team. But I certainly love him, and I think he, I think he brought an edge and a, and a different type of heart to the defense that he lacked. Jesus Christ, that's the kind of sterling contribution we've been missing this entire year and a year prior from Jam and Jeff Day. Thank you so much. It was that 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 was honestly beautiful. That was eloquent. <laughs> that was smooth. It made me very happy. So I'm gonna turn this over to the lovely Miss Cassie Hutton. Cassie, who is your Labatt Blue Player of the Year? I mean, I think it's an obvious answer. Uh, it's Lee Smith for the pure entertainment value that he brought to us at every single game. Uh, so thank you, Lee. Uh, secondarily to him, I'm going to have to agree with uh, Jam and Jump Day, but Mario Williams, not based on just his season, but when we picked him up, we paid a lot of money for him, and I thought I was going to say he was overrated, and he has not been overrated. He's been there. He's, uh, he's been worth every single penny. So not just this year is he the Labatt Blue Player of the Year, uh, but for the past few years, he's been, he's been a good contribution. I like that. I like that quite a bit. And I am actually going to uh, kind of echo what you guys said. Though he wasn't there on every play, I'm actually going to go with Brandon Spikes. Uh, wow. I think that this defense was very different this year than it was last year. And it was without all the fancy stunts and things like that that Mike Patton brought. But yet, we still only had three sacks fewer than we had last year. Uh, but at the same time, because we only needed to rush with four people, we were able to become an incredibly good pass defense. Um, we were close to leading the league in interceptions, and all of that is predicated on one player, and that is Brandon Spikes. If you notice, when Brandon Spikes wasn't in the game, we were run on quite a bit. I remember there was one game, I don't know if it was Minnesota, that I was 
actively texting every time Brandon Spikes came out of the game. Sorry, it was Green Bay, yeah. And when Brandon Spikes came out of the game, they ran for five, six yards when he came back into the game. And so, yeah, I mean, he wasn't there, but those when he wasn't there, our run game suffered. And because we were able to just rush four, still have an intact, you know, um, run defense, we were able to drop back into coverage and some of our cornerbacks had some of the best years ever. I think he was the last piece in this defense uh, in order to make them be the elite team that they are right now. Well, Cass and Jeff, we really appreciate you guys calling in. Suge and I are now going to transition to all the shenanigans that's going on uh, in terms of GM and coach search. So if you could please grace us with any parting words, either about the year 2014 or the year 2015 and what we have to look forward to. Jeff, we're going to start with you. You know, all I can really say is there's never a dull moment in being a Buffalo Bills fan. And, you know, just just when you think we are starting to – maybe smooth out the course or bring some, bring some consistency back for the 2015 season. We open the, we open the can of, you know, of, of unknown worms. And here we are again with an unknown quarterback situation, an unknown head coach situation, a new leadership. And all I got to say is we're going to have a lot of fun this off season. And I look forward to our first playoff run in 15 years in the 15th season can't wait for it love it jam and jeff day well if there's one thing that bills fans are familiar with it's the docile tones of your voice and we are so grateful that you joined us today hey love you guys talk to you soon all right buddy peace and that brings me back to the lovely miss cassie hutton uh cassie we love you i think you're out there you're out there skiing are you actually on a chairlift right now oh can you can you can you hear us That's a beautiful thing. Cassie, we miss you. Come on home. Uh, we will see you uh, next week, apparently. Uh, and uh, right. you know, don't don't ski into a tree. And uh, right. hopefully um, your uh, your final run is more graceful than Doug Marone's final run. Hey, I, there's, there's nothing that could be uh, more graceful than, than him. So. <laughs> That's true. Hey, we should do a Bills and Beers uh, Super Bowl party. Yeah, you know, we're, we we should do a Bills and Beer Super Bowl party. I think that's a spectacular idea. Um, all right, well, Cassie, uh, safe travels. Uh, come back in one sounds piece, good. and we'll see you soon, okay? All right, sounds good. Yeah, bye. All right, bye, guys. So two ringing endorsements there from our satellite members for playoffs in 2015. I think that we're going to shock the world. I say this every year that we're going to shock <laughs> the world. But uh, you know, I think that I think that what we have in terms of a talent level on this team is exciting. Uh, I think that the presence of Sammy Watkins, Bryce Brown, um, you know, even C.J. Spiller, if you want to throw him into that mix, but Fred Jackson as a leader, um, the, our two tackles, Chantrell Henderson and Cordy and Cordy Glenn. I mean, both of those guys are capable left tackles, and we have Cujo waiting. Yeah, in the and we have Cujo waiting in the wings. Uh, I mean, he needed to, he had a little bit of trouble in the preseason, but you know who knows? Maybe he'll come on as a great guard, or maybe we'll shuffle things. Around. There's a lot of talent on this team. I genuinely believe that this year we were two guards and one quarterback away from making a Super Bowl run. Totally, and um, you know, Bill Belcher will tell you that the that in fact the the distribution of talent in the NFL is so evenly spread that it's coaching that gets you up and over the top. So let's talk about who we can expect in 2015 to be leading this team. But before we do, Suge, we A, have to get more beers, (laughs) but B, we have to check Twitter to see if anything has changed in the last 35 minutes because of the last 48 hours have proven everything Everything. Yeah, it would be really changed. disappointing if we finished this podcast and then got finished and there was announcements all over Twitter about the new Bills head coach. Which is how I'm expecting it to go, so yeah. here's to that. All right. It's been a long time, now I'm coming.
coming back home. I've been away now. Oh, how I've been alone. So as of 4 o'clock Central Time on Friday, January 2nd, 2015, the Buffalo Bills still have not selected a head coaching candidate, although it has been announced that GM Doug Whaley will be conducting the search along with VP of Football Administration John Overdorf, which I have mixed feelings on, along with an advisory role, President of the Buffalo Bills, Russ Brandon, which I know Suge most certainly has mixed feelings about. Yeah, you know, I just, I don't know. I think that, I think that Russ Brandon, when he did play a role as GM, kind of showed what he knows about actual football operations. And, you know, this guy is a complete media whore as far as I'm concerned. He's a businessman. He's a businessman, but, but still... He, like, uh, a smart businessman, you know, we talked about this when we were texting back and forth, uh, when he came out, you know, and now he looks like he has, a, he had an egg on his face, but he came out and said, oh, yeah, you know, there was, there was, I don't know who in the media said that there was any, um, friction between Whaley and Marone, um, yeah, you know, I, I work with those guys all the time, and I tell you, they're always working well together. And oh yeah, I mean, is it because of that thing back in the back in the beginning of the preseason, or or yeah, is there tension related to this? So now, first he goes on to say that oh yeah, there's no tension, but then he specifically says the things that were causing tension brings up an old sordid detail about you know a previous fight that these guys had. Like, if I am a real businessman and I know something about PR, and obviously you're a PR expert, Lars. <laughs> to me, to me, the right thing to say there was... Oh, so, and, and so, okay, let me... Before I say that, let me say that he also then went in to say, oh, but I have nothing to do with football operations. You know, I'm purely on the business administrative side, and I have nothing to do with football operations. If you don't have anything to do with football operations, you should not be commenting on the personal working relationships between two people on the football operations side. What you should say is, I have nothing to do with football operations. You guys would have to ask those two what their working relationship is like. If I was, when I have worked with them, they were always very cordial and professional. But I really can't comment on that. Yes, and here's why I guffaw at the notion of being a public relations expert is because public relations boils down to one very simple maxim, which is always say, or excuse me, always, yeah, I can't even get it right. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very simple maxim, though. Yeah. Uh, always know what you say, but don't always say what you know. Right. Right. And so this is an example where I think he was offering far too much. Yeah. Um, and he, I think he, that... I, and I'll, I'll agree with you on that. And hearing you say it the way you said it just now, and, and listening to some press conferences of his in the past and and knowing that he's a communications marketing business guy i've often been shocked at like why would you answer that way because unless that is absolutely 100 percent signed sealed delivered etched in stone the case why would you confirm it if there's corroborating evidence to suggest otherwise and there's media reports that clearly say otherwise why even address it with a absolute one way or the other? Either an absolute yes or an absolute no. I mean, every every PR spin doctor and Russ, Russell Wilson, another Russ, is notorious for saying this. Every answer is a complete non-answer. Don't answer the question. Right. What do you have to say about tension between you and Doug Marone? What do you have to say about tension between Doug Marone and Doug Whaley? This answer is simple. We work hard here at One Bills Drive to put a competitive product on the field. We want the best experience for our fans on game day, and we want a team that's competing every year for Lombardi Trophy. Well, what do you have to say about tensions between you and Doug Marone? We work hard every day here at One Bills Drive to put a competitive product on the field, to give the fans a great experience on game day, and to make sure that every year we're striving towards the Lombardi Trophy. It's not that hard! That's all you say! And, and if they yeah, keep I mean, asking you the same question over and over again, you just keep saying the same thing. As much as Doug Marone says, you know, there's these rumors that he was chased out of town by the media and that his family hated the criticism. Doug Marone was got. terrible with the media. He was terrible with the media, but at least he would say something Because he did the same reasonable. thing. No, he wouldn't. He would say, he would answer no, no, questions. No, yeah. now, now, now he, he had no the, business answering. That was, was, that was in 2013. He now would, he's been like a lot the more The thing t- with the Mario injury, 
Yeah. Yeah, no, I... He, that was totally mismanaged on no. his part. In 2013, I, like, I, I in, in the beginning, thought it'd be, it was refreshing that, oh, my God, a coach is actually telling me something. Then I realized, like, wait, you know, the, the media is just going to destroy you for this. And so this year, when he said, you know, oh, is there tension between you and Doug Whaley? Just, no one knows. Just answer the question the way that everyone wants to hear it. Say... No, we get along fine. There's absolutely no tension between me and Doug Whaley. Because or just say, a- or just say, of course there is. We work hard here. We put in long hours and we're competitive people. Of right. course we're getting it hot. I wouldn't want to work in an environment where we have to pussyfoot around how we right. treat each other right, anyways. Right. Uh, you know, if you know Doug Whaley's a passionate guy, I'm a passionate guy. You know, if Doug Whaley wasn't pushing for the things that he feels passionate about, I don't want him as a GM. I don't want him as part of my own decision. Right, I mean, okay, so we're just instead, here. Instead, he would give these meandering answers that that gave a glimpse as to too much. And why did he say obviously so much? I don't know. Oh, Lord. But who cares? He's not our coach anymore. Yeah. But so, Russ Brandon's still in the mix. And, it, hey, Russ Brandon, if you're looking for a media advisor, hello, I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> but um, just, I don't know. I, so ultimately what it comes down to is that I think that the reason this guy puts himself out there and says these things about things he doesn't know anything about, like, for example, oh, yeah, Bill Pulley, and, oh, that's like, you know, it's like the soap opera. I, I don't know, you know, there's nothing to that. Uh, yeah, the Pegalus can talk to whoever they want to. Well, it turns out, Russ, that you're a moron because they were talking to him about well, behind your back. Well, that's the thing, too, you because know? they always... It, Just say you would have to talk to the Pegalus about that. I am not aware of anything like that. And he always gives these answers. And I, I've been slow to agree with you about all of this until just right now because you're, you're making a case that's very difficult for me to argue with. But he keeps saying things that like totally dismiss and, and marginalize the media only to then four days later yeah. come out as like, no, they're asking you questions that are actually relevant to reality. Right. And it turns out some of them are true. You know, those so, things like, that you were so dismissive of. Like, don't, Get all cocky yeah. and high and mighty and treat the media like a bunch of gossip queens who only talk to agents and don't know what's going on. When, in fact, they actually do have a pretty good idea what's right. going on and they just called you out on it. And, you know, another example. He's at that press luncheon and he says, oh, you know, I think Doug Marone is doing a spectacular job. And he, like, gives him this huge vote of approval, which really that should be Doug Whaley's job. Well, you okay. Know? All right. But time out. The reason for that and the reason for all the stuff surrounding Doug Marone and everybody's support of him. And now, granted, people have been sort of jumping off that ship's ship like like rats on a mm-hmm. sinking ship. I mean, <laughs> speaking of communication, there's a lot of drowning expertise, rats. There's drowning rats. A lot of drowning rats at One Bill's Drive these days uh, is because he was coming back. They had no intention of firing him. They had every intention of letting him come back on his own terms. The fact that he left, that was his own choice. So I don't actually blame him for saying Doug Marone's doing a great job. Really happy to have Doug Marone on board. Doug Marone's doing whatever was best for Because they had no intention of letting him go. Yeah, I mean, I guess if, if you're asked the question directly, then then there's not. But really, I just feel like a guy who runs the business side of things, you don't see Littman or Overdorf getting in front of the mic. But somebody has you know? to. You no, never but saw that's Ralph what Doug either. Whaley should be doing. Uh, and the issue, no, I would, I, but this, Doug this, Whaley this, is this, an this, idiot in front of the microphone is the other problem. Uh, he kind of is, kind of isn't. But he's a general manager. He's a football guy. He's a former football player. Like, yeah. I, I disagree with you that Russ Brandon should be the guy in front of the microphone. He should just do a better job of he it. Should ju- yeah. He should do it in an ornamental way, and that's it. Right. He should get in, say nothing. He should say a lot of nothing. It's funny, though, because you know, we were talking about this as well. It's like, how many other organizations, how many times do you know the the team president of other organizations or you know the business side of, 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 of other operations? I feel like you occasionally hear from the GM, you occasionally hear from, and you always hear from the head coach, but that's it, and maybe like the owner. Because I, I think I think only the head time. coach is obligated to talk to the media, right? But so I think there's a reason for that is because I don't think you want to have seven cooks in the kitchen. I think that you want one unified voice. I, th- I think what we're saying here is that the Bills need to come up with a better media strategy in 2015. Yeah, no, I I, I think that's definitely true. So the question is now: here we are. It is January second, and well, we let's talked hold on, a little real bit quick. about. Because things may have changed. Let's check Twitter to make sure anything... Okay, okay. Cower, off the list. Thank God. I don't have to hear about any more Bills fans asking for Bill Cower, John Gruden, or Mike Shanahan, or any other coach who was great in the 90s or early 2000s, because guess what? It's... it's, We're now... We're now halfway to 2020. 
Well, more more than halfway to 2020. But yeah. Like the the decade between 2010 and 2020 is now. We're now halfway there. Why are we still talking about coaches who won Super Bowls in the 90s and coaches who won Super Bowls in the early 2000s? I'll never know. Why? Yeah. Like why fans are so fixated on these dinosaurs? Who, by the way, there there is hard data on the age of coach and and his potential for success. Yeah, I don't I mean, want a guy in his mid sixties. I want a guy at at the oldest in his mid fifties. Right, right. No, I, I which John agree. Gruden satisfies. John Gruden hasn't been coaching football in a decade. Right, and why I mean, is he suddenly going to come out now? Yeah, John Gruden suddenly. I mean, these guys. You have to understand. These guys already went through that life. You know, if you asked me to go back and you know do the hardest part of my training, and you know if I'm now in like the kind of luxury part of of, of my career. Where I get paid a ton, I get to spend time with my family, I'm still well respected in the football community, and but now I'm gonna go back to, you know, when I was an intern. Oh no, and by the way, butt kicked. You when, know, like, no, but when you were sense. an intern, you achieved the highest level of success. So now you have an opportunity to go back to being an and intern. And that re- and, and only yeah. it, there's only downside for you. John Gruden, youngest Super Bowl winning quarterback of all time. Why would he go back and then have a mediocre five years, then limp his way back to ESPN when he can get all the page boy haircuts he wants, do Monday Night Football and whatever it is he does on the side, call his own hours and do whatever he wants to do? Yeah, I, I, I there's I no incentive for him to be an NFL coach. And just in case uh, you guys are all wondering that, our comments on Cower are based on an interview he just had with Sirium, uh, Sirius XM Radio, where he said, "You will not see me on the sidelines this season. I'm very happy with my job." as um, a you know a TV personality and I don't want to be coaching right now so that we should wipe his name off the the list for the bills and whoever else was interested so here's what we're looking at right now it, and one thing I want to throw in I'm gonna read off these names excuse me I'm gonna read off these names of coaches that as of today Friday the bills have requested to interview and again this could all change before we hit stop on the record today Brofensive, yeah Broncos offensive coordinator Adam Gase, Chargers offensive coordinator Frank Reich, Seahawks offensive coordinator Daryl Bevel, 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 who knows, Seahawks defensive coordinator Dan Quinn, Patriots offensive coordinator Josh McDaniels. Am I missing any? And then adding to that is, you know, in the Twitterverse, rumors that there's an interest in... uh... In Rex, in, in Rex Ryan, just to, the, at least to interview him, and that they want to interview Jim Schwartz for the Jim job Schwartz, as well. And that also Chip Kelly may be free. Now, here's what I want to talk about. We'll come back to all these guys, but all of these guys are different from Chip Kelly in one very, very specific way. And that these guys are all getting their interviews because of their success at the professional level. Now, Chip yeah. Kelly had some meandering success with the Eagles. Now, he didn't exactly inherit a team that was as long for success as the Bills are when he took over uh, Andy Reid's Philadelphia Eagles. But Chip Kelly, John Harbaugh, or Jim Harbaugh, sorry. Chip Kelly, Jim Harbaugh, and Pete Carroll all seem to be anomalies in terms of the coming back from college to coach in the pros and having success. And now it seems Chip Kelly and Jim Harbaugh seem to be not even applicable to that rule. And Pete Carroll is coming back after having had some success in the NFL. I mean, this is remember, this is Pete Carroll's second stint. Yeah. He was horrible as a head coach when he first came, to, when he was with the Patriots and I think yeah. the Jets. He was horrible. And so then he went back to college, got his act together, was amazing at USC, and then, despite whatever shady stuff they did there, uh, then came out and, you know, now has been, you know, arguably very, very, very successful. Now, the point uh, of bringing all this up, yeah, you won a Super Bowl. How much more success yeah, can you get? Right. The point of bringing all this up is that all he of the guys... He didn't go to four in a row, okay? <laughs> all the guys we brought up are all pro guys. There's no college guys on this list. Right. Even though the Gus Malzons of the world, um, David Shaw, whatever his name is, in Stanford, yeah. all these guys' names keep coming up. They're not on this list. Right. Are we fine with not with not dipping into the college ranks? Well, so I think that, I mean, and there's two things. The l- college... L- lest, the, lest we forget, we dipped into the college ranks the last time we did this. Right. And I think that, I mean, one, Quinn's not... Uh, sorry, Chip Kelly's not available yet, right? Like, we can't request an interview right now because he is currently head coach somewhere. Um, so that, that stuff has all kind of just been coming out today, that there's problems in the front office, that Gamble left... Uh, who is a close friend of Chip Kelly's, and the question is, what is going to happen? Will Chip Kelly become available? Because I definitely think he will be on the radar of several other teams if right. he does become available. 
Um, but, you know, you, there's also the possibility of people like Urban Meyer who still have a season in front of them. Right. Um, that, you know, this guy, when I saw that game yesterday, uh, this we're talking about the Ohio State-Alabama game. You know, this guy is on his third-string quarterback. Who, granted, he's still a third-string quarterback that went to Ohio State, so he has potential to be good. But still, you know, he's not like he's taking first-team reps. I mean, he's on his third-string quarterback, and they just took down the number one team in the nation. And plus, Urban Meyer now is competing for a national championship. Has any college coach ever won two national championships with two different teams? No, that's a good point. I don't know. I don't know. But um, Let alone back-to-back the last time he won. Right, right. I mean... Nobody expected Ohio State to go anywhere near where they are right now. And so whether they lose to Oregon or not in the national championship, I think that his coaching job has been pretty incredible this year. Uh, and he definitely deserves... Now, the, the other thing, though, that I was uh, a little upset to see is that in the press conference, all he kept saying was, wow, Ohio State has a really bright future. These, you know, Because the, the MVP, the defensive and offensive MVPs, of last yesterday's game were both sophomores and he's playing with his third string quarterback. So what he's saying is that the depth of Ohio state is really good. So it seems to me like he's pretty excited to see where, where it's going. Um, you know, who knows a lot of these coaches, Nick Saban, you could say the same thing about Nick yeah, Saban, but he's sucked in the NFL. You yeah. know? So, but what um, I'm saying is, so I think a lot of fans want this coaching search to dip into these top names in the college ranks is there enough evidence out there, or is this an outdated maxim, love saying that word twice in one episode, to say that college coaches can't cut it in the NFL? No, so I, I don't I don't think that's necessarily true. I think What's not it's, necessarily true? That it's not, I don't think it's true that college coaches can't coach in the NFL. Because I think you see as many coordinators flame out um, as you do college coaches. It's that's just true. that there's more media surrounding a college coach. You They're know, much more high ranks. profile. Right, you know, like I mean, there's been the, um, yeah, the Doug Marones, the Mike Malarkeys, the Greg Williams, um, that that have gone from a coordinator to uh, coach and have failed, or you know, even heck, Jim Schwartz. One. Yeah, Jim Schwartz. Right, um, and so there's, I, I think that there's actually a lot more NFL coordinators that have failed as head coaches probably than there are um, college coaches. Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take a quick peek at Twitter again. To make sure that we're not missing anything here. Uh, oh, Kim Bagula sitting in on Bill's interviews. So, does, is anyone else incredibly frightened of Kim Pagula? No, I am. Yeah, I mean, the lady looks like Miss Kim, okay? Like, she looks like she will kill you. Yeah, like, she I just, looks like she might have been in one of those um, I just, uh, Kill Bill movies. Suge. <laughs> and first off, I call you Suge. Everybody else calls you Suge. Whatever. Okay. Um,. Does it? <clears throat> so, oh, and then here's another report. The next Bills coach will report directly to Pegula. Pegula. Pe- yeah, I know, but Maroney, whatever. Um, to Pegula, indicating that the GM that's picking him out will not be his boss. Or we need a female coach. I don't know what that means. We need I don't a know. female coach is what we need. Well, okay, but here, back to Kim for a Sorry. second. It strikes me as so Kim is what like 15 20 years younger than Terry is that mm-hmm. accurate? She's a little sexy. She's sexy. She's, <laughs> but I don't want to diminish any of her accomplishments cuz I know nothing about the woman, but from 30,000 feet she seems like a like a pretty little Asian trophy wife. Yeah, but I don't get the impression from everyone that has interacted with her that she is not that she's not that she's not a trophy wife. She might you know, and let's be honest. Like, no, no, no. She's good I, looking, but she's not like, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, she, she, she's no Tia Carrera. Right, exactly. But, okay, and I agree with you. But what does and she that's know about football? To... But then again, what does but, Terry Pagula d- know about football? Yes, but it's it feels weird to me, and they've been saying this, that she's going to be more in charge of things than him. Well, he's got another business to run. You but know? If he, it, it doesn't it feel like he's kind of like, hey, honey, uh, hey, look, sweetie, I bought you an look NFL franchise. You, yeah. Doesn't it kind of feel that way a little it, bit? Yeah, to some extent it does. But you and know, do you not want that from, like, isn't that the last thing you want from a, the people owning your football team? Is like, this was just some trophy that a dude bought his his Asian wife who's 20 years younger than him? <laughs> I mean, it doesn't could be. Doesn't that just sound? It also could be that, look. I'm the owner of the Sabres. I have a responsibility there. I Fracking still own this giant in Western Pennsylvania. Right. I still have this giant gas company that's making billions of dollars that allowed me to buy the team. 
Um, my wife is interested in this. She's intelligent. She's knows you know what she's she knows her way around and, the business. Uh, yeah, that's a, a I understand. That's the positive way to spin it. But you can see my perspective. No, no, of course. I mean, I think and, and nobody bit... else has been st- struck. Somebody else hasn't been struck this way by Kim Bagula, right? No, of of course people have thought that. But I think the first person that thought that was probably put in their place as soon as they met. Kim Pagula. Okay, fair enough. So I think that's, I think that's, I mean, she does well, not seem like the lady to F with. Well, she's going to be sitting on a coaching meeting. Right, exactly. So let's talk about these candidates that we have identified here. Um, any of these names jump out at you? I know that Bill's fans are really enamored by this idea of Frank Reich coming back to coach. Yeah, I'm not that convinced. You know, I mean, I think that if there's ever been, so this guy is running, um, who's the coach over there? Mike McCoy. Yeah, Mike McCoy's offense. He's not running his own offense. Granted, he ran you know a version of the K Gun when he was in Buffalo, so he knows how to run an offense. Uh, and obviously, he was great at reading defenses and, and things like that. But he was not Jim Kelly. I mean, like he did not run that Bills offense. Let's be clear. He had one amazing game and several other good games. Uh, you know, he did what. A, but you could say the same thing if Kyle Orton played the amount of times that Frank Reich played. You might say that he's amazing too. Uh, so I think that, you know, this whole nostalgia thing with Polian and Reich and all that, yeah. it's a t- ticket grab. It s- stinks of Russ Brandon f- f- as far as I'm concerned. Now, if you know, they, if who they knows? Hire who knows? Him, I mean, by, by the him. same, by the same token, you can't say he's bad because he was part of the old guards. He might, he might be a very talented guy. Uh, there was certainly talent on that team. So, uh, and you know, you definitely have the ringing endorsement of Andre Reed. Um, but what does that mean well, in yeah, terms of somebody what, yeah, what, to... Was Andre Reed going right. to come out and say, like, uh, actually, uh, right. do a Yui when it comes to Frank Reich. That's, exactly. that's that's not territory you want to get into. So, okay. so Plus, let's... he's like a real Christian guy. I mean, right. the, the, I don't think Frank Reich has ever spurned somebody in his professional career in a way that nobody I think would ever people, say anything. I think the people that are most interesting uh, are actually the Seahawks. Uh, I agree. Because, okay, so the, the, the knee-jerk reaction to all of these guys... Okay, Broncos offensive coordinator. Oh, all he is is he works for Peyton Manning. Except, um, eh, eh. no, I know, I know, but I'm just saying the knee jerks. But, 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 but let's address the knee jerk. Yeah. Okay. First off, Peyton Manning's arm is a not what it used to leaky be. Leaky hose at best. And they're right, and, but they have not played as well. But so no, when since made week ten, since week ten, they've been winning games in spite of a run heavy offense. Now, granted, they also have a really good defense. However, the real endorsement for for Gase is that he was the one that tailored the game plans when Tebow was winning games. Yeah, that's true. Now, but did he, no, but did he? Because that was all defense. That team was all defense. That's so. that's that is the obvious rebuttal. People will say that and be like, "Yeah, no, those those Tebow teams won at the last second because the defense kept it close." Right. I mean, and then so Patriots offensive coordinator Josh McDaniels was obviously a hot mess and. In, in, Denver. in Denver, and now he plays under Belichick Tom, Tom, and, and Tom Brady. Uh, but you have to imagine he's learned a thing or two. That was like four or five years ago. He came back with his tail tucked between his legs. Yeah, I mean, some the of the guy knows how a professional organization should be run. Yeah, I do believe that these retreads do usually a little bit better their second time around. And he's still relatively young. Um, I mean, other than I guess, I guess, other than the Gerons, Wanstead, those types of people. But um, <laughs> the, <laughs> the other than real. all the ones that the Bills hired, Chan Gailey. Um <laughs> but Seahawks defensive player Dan Quinn. So I think it's going to be really hard for us to hire a defensive-minded head coach with Jim Schwartz sitting on the staff. Um, and think, with and with all the issues on the offensive side of the field, right? Exactly. I mean, who are we going to get? To, I mean, they would already have to have some and here's sort of the thing genius. With, with, uh, and if they're a genius, they're going to be up for great offensive. I think somebody said this on the on the Bills boards last last week that coordinators that have amazing great records that are unquestionably good, they don't come on as coordinators. They come on as head coaches, right? Um, or they're not available, you know, because they're in the playoffs or they're staying. And also, they Dan are. Quinn, I I've never seen the guy. I don't know nothing about the guy, but Dan Quinn stepped in when Gus Bradley left, and Gus Bradley hasn't exactly been lighting the world on fire in Jacksonville. Yeah, and I mean, again, you just talk about, you know, who is it? Is this Doug Marone's Sean Payton? So is you know is is Dan Quinn just Pete Carroll's Doug Marone? Uh, so you know, like meaning that. The, the defense is all Pete Carroll, and Dan Quinn just kind of sits there and, and executes it. So I'm going to go by name alone, just like the sound of the guy's name. So I'm going to take Daryl Bevel right off the top. 
it's you know it's like a that that thirty rock I, joke, joke rural juror. Yeah, and like, I do think Daryl I mean, Bevel's I think, a bad name. I think that Pete Carroll did a pretty good job, um, you know, developing the Seahawks offense. But no, I'm, I'm just but, going strictly on what the guy's name. No, is. No, I like I like the name, but I also you like the name. I hate the name. You don't like it, Daryl Bevel. It, it kind of got a nice ring to it's it. It's a weird ring to the it. The bevels like, level. Kind of like rural juror. Bevel will level the playing field. Yeah. Uh, no. Let's bevel the playing field. And what has he done as an offensive coordinator up there? Well, no, but I actually I like the way that they he knows how to take a team like their offense is well oiled and complements their defense very well. All right. Well, in that in that respect, um, I think we can say that it would be with the exception of and let's just. Let's just get this right out in the open. Nate Hackett won't be the offensive coordinator in Buffalo next year, regardless <laughs> who's hired. Um, I do, I do worry, and I, and I know I'm going to hear it from you to the end of the world that when Nate Hackett and Doug Marone play at are uh, coaches of a team with a good quarterback, like say if they went to the Giants or something like that with a reasonable quarterback, that all those wide open receivers that we saw will get hit, and everyone will think. Wow, these guys are really geniuses. Why were they doing that in Buffalo? Yeah, why were they doing that in Buffalo? So, um, whatever. You picked with Kyle Orton and Shilabat Blue players. So. Daryl Bevel <laughs> did. It's too late. So You uh, can't have both. Here's the thing about and I, I eliminated Daryl Bevel from, uh, and this is me, by the way, completely talking out of my ass because I know nothing about the guy. Uh, eliminated because I don't like his name. But if he's an offensive coordinator, based on what we know about the Seahawks wanting to be a ground and pound team. Right. Like what I think we can believe that Rome wanted to build here. It's kind of a continuity hire. Right. And it might mean And that it's an offensive coordinator that knows how to work with an excellent defense. Um and it might mean that Jim Schwartz isn't going anywhere. Well, I mean, I think temporarily unless Jim Schwartz gets an interview, I, I think that he is And I haven't heard anything. Around. I have not heard anything. I have about not him. heard his name. I mean, there's people uh, like the Bears people are calling Sorry, fans of the Bears are saying, "Oh, should we do this?" And then all the other fans of the Bears say, "No, you're an idiot." Like he, well, so he sucked it out. Here, is it realistic to assume that the Bills can keep Jim Schwartz as a defensive coordinator, and he's not going to act all butthurt and and not be cooperative? Well, so I mean, that's that's the fear, right? That's the fear is that he's going to be offended that he was like he's just going to send like eight as, man as, blitzes as, on every play. Right, that I mean, no, no, no. So that's the one thing I think he would never do is that he would never sabotage his product because he knows that if I don't get the head coaching job here, either this offense coordinator is going to flame out and I'm going to get it here. Or if I have this defense for three years in a row, there's no way in hell someone's not going to give me another chance. Maybe. I, I Remember, think, he only has two more years on He has one, two more years, I think, on his contract. But I think that's best case scenario for Bills fans is that he sticks around. Yes, without a doubt. There's no question that this is a better team with Jim Schwartz as a defensive coordinator. Um, I, I can't, unless, unless we pick up a defensive coordinator who brings another amazing offensive coordinator with him, I don't know how we keep this going. And that would be a major retool. Like, there needs to be, I mean, Kyle Williams said it. He's like, that's the one thing we haven't tried since I uh, have been here was continuity. Uh, and, and Kyle Williams is like, I'm going to uh, handcuff him to a car in the parking lot. And if he did get a chance, he you know of course, we'd wish him the best. But I think he's going to have trouble because he's going to have people strapped to his legs as he tries to walk out of town. Like, I mean, that's a I huge like ringing that. endorsement from well, Kyle Williams. Well, and also, Williams. Here's, here, consider this, Suge. Aaron Williams has been with the Bills for four years now. Never says anything bad. And then... Well, that, but he's also had four different defensive coordinators over that time. Right, right. I mean, the nice thing is that I feel like there was a, some sort of synergy between what Petten did and what... Uh, because, I mean, well, or these, these or this defense is just that fucking good. They are that good. You know, like that they're that, they're that, that they work together that well. They've gotten to know each other that well. Um, which is why I wonder about, you know, the legend of Kiko. What are we going to do with him when he, when he comes back? Is it really going to be that helpful? Or is that guy great trade bait? Trade him for a quarterback. Yeah. I mean, that's, so that's the question is that, but I mean, <laughs> as an aside, Lars and I and the rest of the Bills and Beers crew were texting back and forth about various quarterbacks. And every time I suggested one, all I got was a reply back from Lars with that name in capitals with question marks and exclamation points after it, completely lambasting my suggestion. Well, hold on. <laughs> to which two... I said, to which I said, well, why don't you fucking suggest something? And he said, ha ha, good point. Um, well, yeah, you also called me a dick. But... Yeah, well, I was very angry because I was getting no positive <laughs> but, feedback. Okay, but those two suggestions yeah, they were, were very Mark bad. Sanchez <laughs> and, and 
fucking Matt Schaub. So here's the other name that has come up, Gary Kubiak, who when he did have Mike Mart, Matt Schaub, they were doing amazingly well. So I, who knows? You know, those are those were Schaub's good years. Well, Suge, we can sit here and speculate it's all bad. to the blue in it's the face. It's all bad. Listen, I don't know what the hell's happening. I think those, I think the best thing to bad. do is to cheers. And to say good riddance to 2014, it was and fun while it lasted. good riddance to Doug Marone, you miserable, yeah, I guess. Is you he miserable the, son of a bitch. He's just a miserable prick. Yeah, I mean, at this point, yes. We all, you know, everyone thinks that there was evidence. Dick, there was right? evidence to suggest but, that now it's clear. Right, exactly. I mean, before it was like, okay, fine, he's a dick. Who cares if, our, if the attitude in our locker room is improving and our win percentage is improving? You know, who cares if he's a dick? Belichick's the biggest dick in the world and he's, you know, runs the best football organization in, in, in the world. The history of the league. Um, and so, who cares if he's a dick? Now, it's like, okay, so you preached all this stuff about Bill's family and 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 you, you, you tell all your players that you're quitting by text message and, and you just, you build up this thing that, oh, we got to stick together, we're a family. And then, because you can pocket $4 million and go get paid again... Uh, you know, you, you don't you don't have enough faith in yourself that what you that you will be eleven and five next year. You think that you're gonna go back to five and eleven. And so this is your time to get out. And so you sell out all these other players, all this other philosophy. Uh, and so yeah, for that I say screw you, Doug Marone. We don't we honestly we don't need you. You weren't that good. He must have been sold a different bill of goods when they hired him. Because from what I understand, his quitting was all about like, well, I don't want to, I don't want to report to Bagula, I don't want to report to Russ Brandon, I don't want to report to Doug Whaley. Like, who did you want to report to, Doug? And like, who were you I think told this that is you the problem? But this to? is the problem with college coaches. So college coaches, yeah. when they're in college, they pretty much get run of the roost. They get to do whatever they want to. They get all the player decisions. They get, you know, their athletic directors are just people that kind of help them out with money when they need or, or structural things. And so look at what's going with Chip Kelly. Chip Kelly's not happy with the fact that he has to work within an organization. That's the benefit of some of these guys that come out of the NFL. They're used to working within an organization. But are those college guys inherently wrong? Or do the, do the professional... I mean, I guess what I'm asking is, when a, when a college head coach like Marone or Chip Kelly says, I want this, this, and this, and he can't get it, because the professional guys are saying no, no, no for one reason or another, are those guys inherently wrong, or are they right? Like, do they know more than these college guys about what's actually going on, or does the entire, as we've come to understand it, NFL, which is very culture based, moves like a battleship, old guard, good old boys yeah. type league? Do these guys need to like wise up and understand? Like, no. Like, yeah, I mean, look at Jim Harbaugh, right? I mean, that's the same problem I have with Jim Harbaugh. He wanted. Control. He he battled with their front office, uh, and if I'm not mistaken, doesn't Pete Carroll have some more control than just head coach? He in, might. I thought I thought he and did. Bill Which, Belichick does. Yeah, and Bill Belichick certainly does. I mean, look at Bill Parcells when he was you know with with Miami when he kind of ran the whole show uh, there. So you is, know, like, is it not? Maybe it is. You know, you have to have one singular vision uh, that that kind of pervades the whole organization, and one person is a czar is like. The person that decides, you know, ultimately this is the final say on Holmgren did it, right, right. And so, I mean, uh, God, I mean, it's 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 a good point. Should there be less cooks in the kitchen? Uh, is ultimately what it comes down to. But you know, you really can't argue but with what Whaley has done in terms of bringing personnel in. You know, but if it's the wrong personnel now, if it's not the personnel that Whaley wants, I mean, then, in part, sorry, that Marone wants, then yeah, that's... his analogy, Parcells was. To say you have somebody who buys the groceries and somebody who cooks the meals. Now, if right. Doug Marone has made it clear that it's taco night, right? And, and taco night means pounding the rock up the middle and trade down as many times as you can so I can get the interior lineman that I need so I can control the ball and play defense. And instead, Doug Whaley decides, no, it's spaghetti night, and decides to trade off all the picks and go out and get a wide receiver, which right. is not in the plans. I'd be pretty pissed too. It's you know it's true, but the thing is that Doug Whaley came in here talking about this flash and awe type of offense that's high paced, fast moving, and all these other things. And maybe Doug Whaley said, "Yeah, that's exactly the type of coach that I want. I want this kind of more of a flashy offense, high powered. You know, we're going to pound the rock, but we're also going to run really fast, and we're going to be able to you know run this up tempo offense." Now it's like, oh well, 
we're still going to pound the rock, but we're also going to be really slow and we're going to be methodical. And, you know, and, and Will is like, no, that's not what I want. I want playmakers on this field. And I'm going to get, you know, I, I want to prove that EJ Manuel can do it, which, you know, I don't know. There's got to have been some discussion back and forth between Marone and Whaley about about getting uh, about giving up so much to get Sammy, which I still don't disagree with that pick. I mean, ultimately, we gave up our nineteenth, the nineteenth pick yeah. of the draft. What, who the hell, especially in this draft, which by all accounts seems An like interior it's lineman. We yeah, were, but we were sitting pretty to pick up the best interior lineman available. True, but I think that we can get damn good interior linemen with the fiftieth pick. And I think that we can package a couple picks up and, and move up into the upper second round, lower first round, maybe upper second round. Because um, I don't think anybody cares after the first round. You know, there's a reason yeah. why well, ESPN of course, stops. Yeah, we're, if, although yeah, we will, may, we, there's a good chance we may be at the the draft. Where is it going to be? Is it the Chicago, Chicago Theater? It's in the Chicago Theater. And so, is it? I don't know which theater it's at. I, I have uh, no idea where it's oh, going to be. I, I, I think we're going to go, though, because I think Cass said she get us tickets. Yeah, Cassie is working her butt off. And, of course, we've got nothing to watch. Yeah, exactly. So um, so it's, it's going to be an interesting year. That's that's for sure. I think that and you know, it's, a it's, football czar still may be in our future at some point. <laughs> who has nothing to do with hiring the head coach. Right. He has nothing to do with hiring the head coach. And apparently <laughs> the GM is staying. So And Russ Brandon is staying. So I And don't Kim really... Pagula is interviewing coaches. Right. It's like, just let's add more cooks to the kitchen All because right. it already isn't a disaster. So it's going to be an interesting offseason. I will say I'm checking one, Twitter one last time because let's I'm, I'm check certain, one more time. I'm certain that by the time this episode airs, we're going to have uh, Bills have found a way to meet with Frank Reich before he interviews with the Jets. Uh, so that's interesting. Okay, so, so that's the latest development. Is it? Does that one mean that there's something new? I don't know, on? but there's uh, Brandon Spikes. Does Brandon Spikes? Brandon Spikes' daughter looks just as fierce as Brandon Spikes. Ah, good lord! Is that his daughter? Oh, a little cousin. Oh, it's her cousin. Oh, they're all cousins. She's such a sweet girl, G-U-R-L. Well, we're going to be back probably to talk post-draft about what happens. Uh, I guess we'll hit it up on Twitter and Facebook once a coaching... Maybe, you know, maybe we can uh, maybe we can send out an episode around the time of the Super Bowl, because I think there will be some interesting that, develops in yeah. Nation uh, by that time. Hopefully we have a coach, uh, <laughs> the college... Hopefully we'll have a, 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 a power hierarchy yeah. flow chart. And I actually set. think that, you know, I was talking about the fact that we need a female coach. And I think that Kim Pagula is going to be the next coach of the Buffalo Bills. Kim Pagula is Goldie Hawn in Wildcats. Yes, I love it. Well, for uh, President of Bills backers, Sujit, for um, Buffalo Bill Belcher, the lovely Cassie Hutton, and the long-forgotten Jam and Jeff Day, I'm Lars. It's been a great year. 2015 is going to be a better year. We'll be back, I guess, to talk about what's happening because nobody has a fucking clue. But until then, go Bills. Bills make me wanna Shout.